Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, my name is Randy, and I'm privileged to serve as the uh, senior minister here at the church, and um, our teaching time on Sunday morning uh, typically takes us through a particular book of the Bible, and we have recently concluded a series over uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and it is a a book about enduring hardship, uh, about... uh, about having to trust God in the, the most difficult times of, uh, that, of life's seasons. And uh, I thought it would be important uh, as a, a follow-up to that series to have a conversation uh, with uh, Gary Barnes. Gary uh, and his wife, Javonda, lead a ministry called World Changers. They're one of our missionaries that we support here at the church. And um, just a long, wonderful relationship that, uh, that I've had with Gary uh, over the years and uh, that our church has. And um, uh, Gary introduced me to, uh, as I said earlier, uh, the incredible work that God is doing uh, in uh, Nepal, uh, people that are experiencing hardship on a daily basis. And uh, I just want us to hear from Gary, what God is doing through uh, world changers and what God is doing in a part of the world that uh, it's easy for us to overlook. Um, so so uh, first of all, I guess what I'd like, Gary, is for you to just reacquaint us with um, yourself and the ministry of world changers and uh, um, what, uh, what, where God has called you to serve uh, in, in this world. Well, it's always good to be back at Windsor Road. We uh, were members here in 1986 uh, on and then missionaries overseas and then came back and and, uh, I lead World Changers now, which I have some slides I'll show you to help you kind of understand and get reacquainted. Uh, World Changers, our our focus is basically uh, proclamation, incarnation, and, and then we hope and pray that transformation takes place out of that, and it's through hope, help, and he- healing others, particularly among the persecuted, forgotten, hidden, marginalized, and unreached peoples of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. That area is known as the 1040 window, 10 degrees north of the equator, 40 degrees north of the equator, and two-thirds of Earth's population this morning, getting close to 5 billion people, live in that window. The average church in the U.S. on Sunday when it takes up a missions offering and gives $100 to missions gives $1 to that box in that slide and $99 everywhere else. And so we decided as a mission a number of years ago that that was kind of unequal and that needed to be a lot more work done in that region. That region is very difficult because it's the Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist area of the world. And so a lot of mission organizations and churches find that it takes a long time to get results there, which is true. But it's also still a needy place. They still need the gospel. They still need medicine. They still need uh, all of the things that everywhere else in the world needs just as much. But for some reason, uh, about 95%, 94, 96, somewhere in there of all missionaries go to outside that region to about 3 billion people. And the other 90 Five, or the other 5% go to reach that nearly 5 billion people. So we're just trying to help educate churches and help them understand there's a lot to do there and there's a lot that can be done. 
Uh, we are working primarily in this area of the world because it is those three religious groups that dominate that area. That's where they came from. And those, that, the, the population of most of those people groups and countries is 1% to 2% or less Christian. It has no portion of Scripture or maybe a small portion of Scripture, but no uh, Bible in about uh, 4,000 people groups that remain unreached. Uh, there's no local church And so when you drive in your community or you take the bus or you walk or you take your bike or wherever you go, you don't pass dozens of churches to get to your church on Sunday because there is no church. And there is no preaching. There's no pastor. There's no teacher. There's no missionary. There's no evangelist working in your community. There are about 4,000 cities now of over a million people that have very little, if any, connection to Christianity. And so we are trying to make a difference there, and that's where we're focusing. And and, uh, so in... Uh, the next uh, slide will show you that the places that we work primarily are Nepal, Thailand, Turkey, and Burma. And Burma is some new exciting things going on there the last couple of months that I'll tell you a little bit more about. But this is an HIV AIDS orphanage that we visited two years ago when Javanda was with me in the summer uh, called House of Grace. And half of these kids, about uh, 80 of them, um, their parents have died of AIDS, HIV, and the other half actually are infected. And so, um, you know, when you're a minority or when you have a, uh, you know, you're an ethnic minority, whether you're a religious minority or whether you are infected with a disease like that, you're an outcast and no one wants you. And so uh, these kids are loved and taken care of, just like a number of other orphanages that we uh, work with. And this is over on the opposite coast of Thailand, where following the tsunami, we sent teams to do relief and development and those projects still go on, and uh, our daughter Bethany was with us that summer to help do some of the follow-up mm-hmm. there with uh, the kids from uh, the orphanages there and in the churches in that region. Uh, one of the things that we realized years ago, Warren Huddleston, who he and Lillian were members here, um, Warren, uh, I was, he was telling him once after I got back from Nepal, uh, you know, Sundar, the pastor there, says if, if we could just find people... Uh, who would help us get a pastor a goat or five chickens. Or, you know, they could become independent. They could become self-sustaining. And so after two or three years of buying goats, Warren said, I'm tired of buying goats. It just doesn't seem very romantic. It doesn't seem very <laughs> exciting, you know. And I said, well, it, 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 do you teach a man to fish or do you give him a fish? Which is more important? He said, well, of course, to teach him. And I said, well, that's what we're doing. And so mm-hmm. a number of farms were purchased, and uh, one farm that Warren helped uh, buy, and then that was sold because development was moving in, and now those little farms uh, have become one farm that raises about 400,000 chickens a year, another one about 200,000, a hog farm that raises over 1,000 hogs. Individually, then you have hundreds of pastors and church leaders who have hogs, who have chickens, chicken farms, and where they once were the poorest of the poor, uh, now are considered by their communities, there's something different about you. You, you didn't have anything before, now you have something. Where did you get this? Well, I got it from God. God gave it to me. Well, I want to know about that God. If he gave you a goat, I want one. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's what they, they, they're learning. And so, next slide. Uh, this is HIV AIDS orphanage there in, in uh, Thailand. Um, these kids, we, I take medicine, I take uh, uh, candy and soccer balls and everything that they request, we try to take over. And they're very, very grateful. And they, uh, they just like any other kids, they love to play. They love to play with the white, gray-haired toy that comes from America. 
Uh, and uh, I try to take a team whenever I can because they love uh, just spending time. Uh, they love to learn English. They love to learn, hear stories, and, and just play. And uh, anyway, that's, that's some of what we do. The other part, another group that's neglected around the world are the elderly. And uh, this, this old man is one of the people taken in by the church in Kathmandu, Nepal. Um, and he was given some garden seeds, and he raises them there on the church uh, in a little garden that they've started. And he's so proud of this. And uh, he's learning at this late age that even though he's been discarded by his family and friends, he has no one to take care of except the church, he can be productive. And he's raising vegetables mm-hmm. and uh, selling them and eating them. And, and it's just a great way to see how, you know, how God uses people. Uh, this girl, uh, Martha, she is the trainer of how uh, to learn to become a seamstress. And so uh, one of the micro-enterprise projects we're involved with is helping get sewing machines. And, and so she's training other girls who graduate from the Bible college how to be a seamstress because they, they need to be self-sufficient. The, you know, that's a part of how we are as Christians. We don't just continually give money and give resources. They become self She has to pass it on. She has to pass it forward. She has to play it forward, just like all the others do. And they do it well, once they, they, and they see a, a real blessing in doing that once they learn about that. <clears throat> the slums are always a problem everywhere around the world, but these, these people in Kathmandu along the river there, uh, you know, the water is filthy, and you know, waterborne diseases are evident wherever um, you go, but especially in this part of the world. And so... There's a slum outreach that they've started, a ministry. There's actually a church just about a quarter of a mile from here that meets on Sundays now to worship. Uh, These are girls, and there might be one boy in there, uh, who've been rescued from slavery or child prostitution. And this is something new that Sundar and and Sarita and others decided a few years ago that was important for them to start doing in Nepal because there are thousands who are sold across the border into India or Bangladesh or into uh, Thailand or that region. And so, you know, it's one of those things, if you can rescue them, uh, you know, they, they have a new life. They, they, but they have to learn something new. Uh, they're discarded by their families. That nobody wants them in their village because of what they did. And so the church shows them that what you did doesn't matter. God's forgiven you. You can have a new life. And so it's just a great way uh, to minister to others. These orphans at the largest orphanage there in Kathmandu, um, are just a special group of kids. I've seen them grow up, many of them, five or six. Now they are adults. I was walking in, in uh, North Kathmandu a couple of years ago, and this, I heard this voice, Gary Uncle, and I turned and looked, and it was Duras, this boy who Sundar had taken in when he was five years old. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, this is my store. I thank you for helping us. Thank you for helping me, for taking care of us through the orphanages. And even though I don't do that personally, uh, you know, we just encourage Sundar and the others, and we provide resources for them. And and, but we do give my small micro-enterprise loans, and he has a shop where he fixes all kinds of electronic stuff that was a loan, and he's paying that forward now. He's, he was taken in off the street. He's become a church leader just like most of the rest, and he's a great example of what God can do mm. if you, you know, bring up children and, and teach them and help them and encourage them and then, then give them something to do that they're productive in their culture and society. And these are some of the kids there. Uh, one day when I walked over, the older kids had gone to school. The younger kids were already home. And uh, they're just always so encouraged by hearing that Americans are in churches. And Randy, uh, many of them will remember Randy and, and Tim and, 
uh, how could you forget Tim? Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're just so thrilled that, to know that you all are praying and encouraging them. And Nepal Bible College, World Changers provides all the support for Nepal Bible College. Uh, 55 students this year, they graduated 18. I was there in May for the graduation. And uh, it's just a great time to see these kids again who have been taken in. They've all been discarded now. Their villages, they, many of them can tell you stories about when they go home over spring break or over Christmas break, they have to go to do evangelism. And when they leave, a sister-in-law or someone else in the family will fix a special lunch for you to carry on your way home. And they, uh, on the way home, many of them have been poisoned uh, by their families who want them to die because they're disgraced to their family because they've become Christian. And so it's just, uh, you know, one of those things. Next slide. Uh, the pastor's conference or leader's conference every uh, end of February, 1st of March. Randy was there a couple of years ago and taught at that. And that uh, experience for these 250 to 500 who can make it there, it's a week of encouragement, of blessing. They get fed three meals a day. They get yeah. uh, seeds to take home. They get a goat. They get, uh, you know, baseball caps. They get whatever we have to help them and to share with them uh, some balloons and toys and candy, vitamins for their children. All of those things uh, uh, come. And these, these guys have now planted through the ECFN about uh, 500 house churches and over 280 churches in Nepal. And uh, it's, it's very exciting to see what's going on. And uh, this is one of the uh, farms, one of the microenterprise projects, uh, raising lots, tons and tons of rice and vegetables each year. And then the hog operation, again, if you can have a hog and a sow produces little ones, you can sell those, you can, you know, butcher one. It's just amazing how this changes their lives. And again, these guys pay it forward. I'm going to tithe one hog this year. I'm going to tithe, uh, I'm going to give this other pastor a hog who's going to have pigs and it's just going to keep multiplying and it does. And then Sundar here with uh, some of the goats which is his, was his first idea, which now just continued to blossom. And then, of course, you know, do you teach them to fish, or do you, do you give them? Well, these people have learned to, to fish. And so these are some of the things that we do in helping uh, the ministries in Nepal, Thailand, Burma, and Turkey to do just that. Next slide. And this is the result, the transformation. People being baptized, this is Sundar baptizing someone at the new church over by the airport in uh, Bhaktapur. And uh, that's a result. Churches are planted, people are are saved, and people are baptized uh, as a result. Then finally, some prayer requests that we have. uh, And that's, you know, one of the greatest things you can do is pray for us. And these are just some of the things that that, uh, we uh, are praying for that we've been asked to help provide. So, Well, you mentioned Sundar. Sundar Tapa and his wife Sarita, and uh, and then the ministry of um, uh, ECFN, Evangelical Christian Fellowship of Nepal, and um, all of the ministries that World Changer helps in support of what uh, this pastor is doing in the 1040 window. Talk to us a little bit about how you got to know Sundar, a little bit about uh, the growth of Christianity in this least reached area of the world. Okay. Um, one of the, uh, in 1993, th- it became evident to lots of Christian church leaders and to a number of mission leaders 
that this region of the world was neglected. We aren't building hospitals there. We're not building clinics there. We're not building schools there. We're not doing the things we do in the rest of the world. And why? Because it's difficult, yes. But does it, the Great Commission doesn't say only go where it's easy. Go ye therefore into all the easy places of the world and spread the gospel. Or, you know, it doesn't, it even, it doesn't say go ye therefore and send a check to those difficult areas. It says we're supposed to go. And you're supposed to send a check and pray as well. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, the whole idea is in 93, these groups said there's the, the discrepancy here. We've got to change this. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teams were recruited to go through this area of the world and pray, just as they looked like tour groups. But actually what we were doing was walking around praying. And in Nepal, we spent a week. And because Christianity was still illegal to convert or to be a Christian or to have a house church or to be a part of a church, Sundar had to be snuck into the hotel we were staying in through the kitchen and up through the, to one of our rooms where all 20 of us were, were waiting for he and Sarita to come. And we heard their story. And I uh, immediately you know, kind of gelled with Sundar. And the next day he took us out and showed us property that he'd like to purchase to build the Bible college, to build the first orphanage, and so forth. And so I told him I'd come back and have churches in America pray about it. And as a result, of course, all of that went from one church in Kathmandu to now over uh, 500 uh, house churches, 280 actual church buildings. In addition to that, the other Christian groups that are there, there are now a total of of at least 7,000 churches in Nepal where Christianity in 1970, there may have been only, there were only four known Christians and one guy's name was Prem Pradam. Prem took in Sundar and three other young men and raised them and said, you know, God's calling you, God's calling you. And he, he made sure that these four became Christian leaders. And Sundar is probably the number one Christian leader in Nepal. Everyone knows him. He's on TV. He's been asked to be a part of the committee that writes the new constitution. And that's in jeopardy right now because of the political unrest. But nevertheless, he's gone from a man who was in prison nine times when I first met him, a man who, if you meet him, his fingers are mangled and he's stripes and scars all over his back from being beaten and uh, that's who Sundar was. And now he's one of the most prominent men, but also one of the most threatened because radical Hindus, as Randy said, Hollywood does not portray Hinduism as it really is. It's as it is in the West. It's pretty. It's like, let's meditate a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that's, that's not at all what it is there. They're under threat constantly. And so um, it has grown rapidly. There are estimated... Uh, out of 25 million people, now it may be over 2 million Christians in less than 30 years. And so it's very, very exciting what God has done and is doing. Well, um, Sundar was supposed to be here. And uh, when uh, uh, we heard that uh, he was going to be able to be here, why we scheduled him and, and both you and him, and, and, and yet he's not here. And why is that? I was there in May for the Bible College graduation, and in December, they have had the last four years a big Christmas festival that they've been so excited about because freedom of religion came at the end of the war, which ended five years ago with the Maoists. In the last two years of the Maoist uh, revolution, uh, the, when I would go, the streets would be Main Street to the airport. You'd have to go through eight, nine, ten roadblocks, police barricades, tanks, everything in the street checking everybody's ID, making sure you weren't one of the malice terrorists who'd gotten into Kathmandu. 
And so there was a lot of fear when the malice took over that maybe it will become you know, communist and it will just be a closed country. But instead, the malice leader said, we want to become a democracy and we want to have things as they are in the West. And so he was prime minister for over a year and made some great changes. And then as in parliamentary government, the parliament... Uh, failed, and they had to get a new, and so there have been four new prime ministers, each one has failed, most recently it failed again, and so in December I didn't get any news of the Christmas festival that was supposed to happen, I didn't get any news of what had happened, and I kept sending emails and get no answer, and finally I emailed and said, the pastor's conference is coming the end of February, I'm planning on coming, I'm, what can I bring, and eventually after three or four emails I get an email from Sarita saying, it's not safe, don't come, that's all it said. And so I, you know, maybe you can come for the Bible college graduation in May. So I planned to go in May. Later on, after some other emails sending them, they did send an email note saying, okay, please come, please bring these things, but things aren't safe. Hmm. So I went in May, and uh, pulling out of the airport that day, I knew things were different when I landed in the airport because of the, the atmosphere and the way people were there weren't the crowds of people trying to grab you and take you in their taxi and get your money for carrying your bag and so forth. And so I knew something was wrong. We pulled out of the airport, and there was a burned-out bus. There was a burned-out taxi. Here was a burned-out motorcycle laying on its side. Here was a burned-out car. And so um, they are having these... Now that we're a democracy, we can have demonstrations. We can have, uh, you know, these... these uh, you know, we can demonstrate because we're free. And so the radical Hindus are demonstrating, saying, we want the king back, we want radical Hinduism back, we want this country to be the only official Hindu kingdom in the world again. The ethnic minorities, the religious minorities are saying, the radical Hindus have had their way for 250 years, and look where it got us. We're one of the the fourth poorest country in the world, what do we do? How do we get out of this? We are going to rebel against these people. And so instead of carrying signs and so forth, they carry one-inch... uh, three-foot-long pieces of rebar as they march down the streets. And, I mean, what do you do with a piece of rebar but uh, hurt people and intimidate people and kill people, which they were doing when I was there in May? Three days of house arrest, basically, for everyone in the country. You couldn't go out on the street because of what was happening. They Only about half of the people showed up for the Bible college graduation for fear of what could happen to them. Um, and so that's the, the atmosphere that was going on when I was there in May. The persecution, though, goes back. I can remember uh, after the Malice Revolution, after everything changed, being there two years ago for the Bible College graduation, I was sitting there drinking my masala tea that morning, and uh, the phone rang. Sundar and Sarita, uh, Sundar gets up, goes to the phone, comes running back in the room, says something to Sarita in Nepali. She goes and starts calling people on the phone, Sundar says, come with me quick. We get in the Jeep. We drive to the church building. He says, the church in Patton was, was just bombed. And he said, four are dead. And uh, I think there were four others that died uh, within the next couple of days. Over 20 were injured. A woman walked into the service that morning. Picture this at Windsor Road. Picture this. Any church in America. Hindu, loving Hindu people. <laughs> You know, they, they, they don't swat flies. They don't do any of that. That's the, Hindus are loving people. This Hindu lady walks into the church, says, will you watch my bags? I have to go to the bathroom. She walked outside, pushed a button, detonated the bomb, and killed these people. And it happens in Islam. It happens in Hinduism. And it also happens when 
Push comes to shove in Buddhist regions of the world as well. And so they are threatened by the growth of Christianity and three people in particular, Sundar being one of them. And so I sat in the house for three days wanting to go visit people, wanting to get out, and seeing when the power was on, seeing the news reports of how many had been killed that day and how many uh, buildings had been burnt and so Mm. forth. And so that's the atmosphere that they live in every day. That's the atmosphere that goes on and has gone on since the freedom of religion came into effect five years ago. And Sundar and uh, his family are under threat again, trying to get Andrew, their son, their youngest son, out of the country and uh, probably will be coming here if that can happen. So um, they, they need our prayers. Sundar is like the Billy Graham of, of Nepal. He is the lightning rod. And so the radical Hindus believe if he is eliminated that it will put fear into the rest of the Christians and they will convert back to Hinduism and they'll stop this stupidity of this American religion that they have Mm. imported into Nepal, which Mm. didn't come from Nepal at all. It came from a Nepali who came from India who became a Christian there through through church, Indian churches. And so uh, Mm. persecution still happens. It happens where we work in Turkey. It happens where we work in Burma. Burma, things are starting to change, and there's new movement there, and we're so excited about what could happen, and we hope will happen. The mm. church in Burma has existed through military persecution for over 20 years, and uh, the church is stronger there as a result. But it was already strong in Burma, where in Nepal there was no church. Mm. Um. Oh, well, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing. Well, I have this question. I, I asked you this for a service. I want to talk about this because it's a leadership question um has to do with how how sundar leads with hope in such a hard situation people uh, uh, yeah. you know that that, yeah they they're they all have this fear but which is a greater fear to fear the government to fear the malice to fear the radical hindus to fear hmm. starving to fear you know, uh, the waterborne illnesses, everything. Mm-hmm. It, it's just constantly, you're, you have to be aware of everything. And Sundar is, is you know, let's, like the, when the bombing happened in, in uh, the church in Patton, he rushed to the church and we get there and he tells all the leaders, get, start praying, start praying. Pray for people coming to the service this morning. Pray for uh, those who are here, pray that, that we are safe this morning, that, the bomb, that the, no one comes here to bomb this building as well, which the call came from the secret police. You, you are under threat. And mm-hmm. so as we're praying in those meetings before the church service starts, we, we hear two large trucks come to a halt, squealing their tires out front. And uh, it's like the Illinois National Guard trucks. Two trucks, soldiers jump out about 20 in each truck, and surround the building. Everyone that comes in, automatic weapon. Can you imagine at Windsor Road this happening? Mm. But it happens there all the time. Mm. But Sundar's, his immediate response, his action, his, you know, let's not all hide in one corner. Mm. Pray, pray. Pray for the others. Pray for the other churches. Pray for those that were killed in Patton. Pray for those that are, you know, pray that they'll go ahead and have a church service. And they did. They went outside and held a church service after the bombing. And so that's how they survive with the kind of hope that comes from the leadership. Holy boldness. Mm -hmm. That's good.
Well, Nepalis are coming to St. Louis, where you and Javonda live, and I want to take uh, the last few moments uh, of our time here to talk about that and, uh, and the church that uh, you've planted there and, uh, um, and the house churches that you're working with in South City. Um, well, this, this trip made me aware, again, that things can change rapidly. And so we were planning to take a number of teams next year to Thailand, Turkey, and Nepal. And I realized during you know, being locked up in the house at Sunders that it's probably not going to happen because things are changing again. And so it's discouraging to me because that has been the number one field that we've worked in since 1993. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I don't... Uh, it's not as romantic to be a leader here um, of a group that's there and you, you're raising money for them here. You're raising resources for them here. You're building awareness here in churches. It's just not as exotic or romantic or sexy, I guess you could say, what I do. But the United Nations and the U.S. identified 10 cities in the U.S. that have become cities of refuge mm-hmm. for refugees coming from different parts of the world. And St. Louis took in about 55,000 Bosnians over the last 10 years or so. St. Louis has taken in 35,000 Vietnamese. And now in South City, we have over 2,000 um, Nepalis. I don't know how many Burmese, but it's, it's a larger number even than the Nepalis. And because that's the area that we work, I've been able to find and identify two Burmese house churches, two Nepali uh, churches, and uh, a Nepali bazaar, a little Nepali grocery store, store, where the owner is not Christian, but he loves the fact that I've been to Nepal so many times, and I understand him, I understand them. And uh, they, uh, the dad, who was so skeptical of me when I first went into the store, the first half dozen times, he would like, you know, give me this look, and he wouldn't speak to me in English. Uh, I came back from this trip, I bought one of those little stools that the, all the Nepalis sit on, and the little old men sit and talk and visit and drink tea and so, so forth. I brought it back for Rajiv, the owner of the store. And when the dad, when I walked in that day, I had the, the stool with me, he says, uh, what is that in English? And I said, it's a stool. And he said, what is that? It's a stool. What is it? It's a stool. And then he starts saying a word to me in Nepali, and I don't get it. And he, he points at it. It's the word for stool. And I said, I brought it for Rajiv. I, immediately, he started introducing me as Gary Dye to everyone that comes in the store. Older brother. Now, he, I thought he was older than me, but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm is the older brother now. And so that, that we've been able to connect with Nepalis and Burmese in St. Louis. And uh, there's a group of people starting a new church. And I told them, if you're going to start and you want Javon and I to be involved... It has to include the refugees that, the, that, mm. that we are finding in our city. It has to be those who are um, coming here as immigrants. And these people want to come to America. These people want jobs. They, they are hard workers. I mean, they are doing everything they can. Uh, Rajiv has told me he started studying. He's been in America seven years. He came. He was a waiter for the first couple of years. Uh, not a waiter. He was a dishwasher at a, in, a, in a restaurant. And now... He owns his own store. He's doing very well. He goes to the airport two or three times a week to pick up Nepalis who've been sent over from the refugee center in Nepal. And uh, so his two sister-in-laws are Christian, and they've put us in contact with others. It's just been a great experience. But this new church is starting. I said, you know, we, we have to have a focus on the people who are Nepalese and Burmese and so forth. 
or we're just like any other church in St. Louis, and you can go to dozens who are similar. Let's do something different. Mm. So it's called City on a Hill, and City on a Hill is that city of refuge where internationals and refugees, refugees can find hope and help and healing in St. Louis. And we're excited about how God has taken my international experience and allowed us to start using it locally. And uh, we're looking forward to what, uh, you know, will be. And we will have a couple of trips go to, or teams go to Thailand next year. And I'm hoping to go back in September to Burma because now I can get a Burmese visa with no problem. And the, the Burmese, um, Su Chin, the leader, the Burmese leader who was elected to parliament 20 years ago, was allowed to leave the week I was in Bangkok, Thailand, or Burma, to come to Thailand to speak. She addressed about 5,000 Burmese. She flew to Norway to get the Nobel Peace Prize, which she was awarded 20 years ago. And all of this has happened just overnight because Burma wants to change. And they realize, you know, Su Chin is part of that and, you know, allowing Americans to come in and start businesses and so forth. And that'll be the, the how I'll have to go. I'll have to go as I'm looking at opportunities for business uh, to get in legally. But at least I'll be able to connect with the church leaders who are there. And so uh, you can pray for, pray, for, pray for that and the new church also. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just thinking about this scripture in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And here it is. But God's word is not chained. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's going out. And therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So, um, so how can we continue to pray for you and Javonda? That we will, uh, you know, have wisdom. I'll be able to reschedule some teams, even in light of what's going on in Nepal, and uh, we'll be able to continue to have the pastors' conference in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be able to continue to to do microenterprise loans and so forth at that. This latest development, which is very serious, um, you know, we'll still be able to do ministry there through and, and encourage Nepalese. And then in Thailand, that we, this new effort we, excuse me, see in southern Thailand, we'd be able to, to multiply that. The government has asked uh, Minister of Education, Minister of Culture, if we would help them find teachers who will teach any subject in English in Thailand, mm. and the government will pay for it. And so the details have to be worked out. We don't know how that's going to be. But if you don't have a job, see me, okay? I know a good place for you. And I can get you... Uh, it's a beautiful place, too. If you like Thai food, you need to know a little spicy. You like it a little spicy, but it's good. And, uh, and then for what we're doing in South City, it's, it's, a, it's a new effort, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, most of our support comes from rural churches in Missouri, Illinois, um, and this part. I mean, we do have some churches in Arizona and California, but the majority are here, and the majority of individuals are farmers and ag-related, and the drought is not helping. Uh, you know, the last three years has been really tough on our, our mission economy, and uh, it's uh, looking kind of bleak the way it uh, looks in the fields between here and St. Louis. So pray for that, too. Absolutely. Well, I want us to do that. I want to close our time, uh, our service here with uh, prayer. So Gary and Javon, I want you all come on up here. And um, 
And uh, if the rest of you would please stand, I'd like for our Peru team, go ahead, church, please stand. Uh, I'd like for our Peru team to make their way up here, and uh, we'd like to pray over them as they are about ready to be sent out uh, for some uh, for some service work. And um, I'm going to pray over Gary and Javanda, and then I've asked Gary if he will pray over our uh, missions team. So um, if you want to stand with... Uh, either Gary or Javanda or one of our team, make your way up here as well. And we will uh, we'll close our service and close our time with prayer.